This is Fuse FM, Manchester's student radio. And welcome to Elementary on Fuse FM. I'm Fergus. I'm Joe. It's just the two of us today. Uh, Karis is feeling a little bit under the weather, Hopefully unfortunately. She's listening in. So uh-huh. get well soon, Karis. Also, anyone else who's ill in Manchester today, because there definitely seems to be something going around. We're all feeling it. We're we? not brilliant either. So if there's some sniffling and coughing in the background, then I do apologise for that. But hopefully, we'll manage to muddle through anyway. This week, we are talking about the element mercury. Mercury is a chemical element with the symbol HG and atomic number 80, so it's a fairly heavy element. It's been known by a few other names. Commonly, you might have heard of it, known as quicksilver, because it has a silver colour and because it is liquid at normal sort of room temperatures. So the the quick meaning like volatile, flowing, that sort of thing. Um, And it was also formerly named hydrogerum, um, which is where it gets the symbol yeah, I was uh, name ask, HG, HG from. from yeah. yeah, so obviously most elements have uh, a lettering, a symbol that kind of relates to the name in some way. But where they don't, it's normally because it used to be called something else, and that's where the name comes from. It occurs naturally mostly as cinnabar, uh, which is uh, the common name for mercuric sulfide. So this is a compound of mercury combined with sulfur. That's how it occurs naturally, okay. uh, but only in quite small quantities. And if you grind it down, this uh, cinnabar, then you get a really red pigment, vermilion. So you can use it for, for that as well. Its other uses, probably its most well-known use, is in thermometers. So that if you've heard of mercury being used, because it's a liquid at room temperature, yeah. then you can use it as a thermometer. So the way it works is as it gets hotter, the mercury will expand, because things expand as they heat up most things. And so then the mercury will fill more of the glass container or whatever you're containing it in, and that will mean that it's reading a higher temperature. Yeah. It's also used in other things uh, such as barometers which measure air pressures. This idea of kind of using mercury as a thermometer, so the full name is mercury in glass thermometers, which I guess is just a fairly obvious description of what you're actually doing. But they were invented by Daniel Gabriel Fahrenheit in 1714. And if you're thinking that name Fahrenheit sounds familiar, this was also the chap who invented the Fahrenheit scale. And as I said, this works because mercury is a liquid, so the temperature change can ch- cause small changes in its volume. So with with mercury being quite toxic, mm-hmm. um, so like there's no alternative to using mercury in thermometers because I think some people would yeah, like that's, the idea of it being in a thermometer. That's right? a, that's a good point. So mercury is is toxic. Uh, it can cause poisoning in humans and other animals. So mercury thermometers are being phased out now. Oh, Until okay. kind of the electronic era, mercury thermometers were the most accurate we could get. But now a lot of thermometers will use kind of electronic measurements oh, yeah, or yeah, other yeah, yeah, sort of modern technologies. Yeah. But for, for a while, mercury was the best we could do. And even though people knew that it was kind of harmful. As long there as it stays any, yeah, exactly. within the glass, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. But obviously, if you, if like if you break one, on, and then... Yeah. yeah. Another place that you might be surprised to hear that mercury is used is in dental amalgams. So an amalgam is anything 
where mercury has been combined with another metal. Right, okay. It combines quite readily with a lot of other metals to form these alloys, so that's why they've got their own special name of amalgams. So dental amalgams are combinations of mercury and another metal used to fill cavities, um, and they're normally around 50% mercury. The first they don't use. They still use mercury in cavity, uh, in dental then, because mm. I thought they might be trying to phase that out as well. Well, a- again, yeah. it's one of those where in a lot of places it's being phased out. So in the EU, it's banned if you're under fifteen and if you're breastfeeding. Yeah. But okay. otherwise, yeah. it oh, is right. it's still possible. So I think you know there are other things. As as I say, as long as it kind of remains <laughs> yeah. solid there, then it's it's okay. So it, this has been used for ages. Um, so it's first known to be used in this way in the Tang Dynasty in China. So that was between 618 and 907 AD. And we'll come back, we'll mention China again a bit later on in the show, actually. But this then spread uh, from China into Europe by the 1500s, and then it was brought to America. And by 1844, 50% of all fillings done in New York were this type. Yeah, but as as you say, because of health concerns, it has been opposed um, yeah. and it is banned for certain people in certain areas. There are some alternatives which are being used, but research on whether it is actually toxic is undecided, although removal yes. can cause... So if you have to remove the, uh, the filling, filling yeah. that can cause issues because you might vaporise it and then you're kind of breathing in this mercury okay. gas, yeah. which Doesn't which is definitely good. not good. <laughs> and then also as well, having to dispose of the mercury afterwards. Obviously, there's an environmental yeah. issue there because it is so toxic. We'll get on to more environment stuff later as well. So. Can't wait. <laughs> Final use, it's also used in fluorescent lamps. They contain a noble gas. So these are the unreactive gases at the very end of the periodic table. I think normally krypton is used, although you can use... Neon as well, but the thing with neon right, is yeah. it, it lights up. That's that's why yeah, we have yeah. neon signs. Uh, you also use argon. And you pass an electric current through the gas, uh, which then excites the mercury vapour. This vapour produces an ultraviolet light, which then interacts with a luminescent coating on the inside of the lamp and makes it glow. So the, the mercury is a key part to making the lamp actually glow in fluorescent lamps. Much more efficient than incandescent lights, so that's just a normal light bulb with a wire in where the light is from just heating a metal up so it's so hot that it glows. Yeah. Um, and so these uh, fluorescent lamps can be used as an energy-saving alternative, although they are more expensive. Specific gases and coatings can give different coloured lights. So as I said, neon... Uh, so you so can is, mercury, get... is mercury essential to all fluorescent lamps then? Or is it just used in some of them? Uh, you you could probably use other things, but okay. it tends to be, mercury tends to be used because what, what happens is it's the excited mercury. Uh, yeah. When it rea- okay. when it relaxes down, it emits this ultraviolet light, which then interacts. So you need something that is going to be okay. excited and Excited-y, then yeah. emit yeah. ultraviolet light as a result. So there are other things that you could probably use for that, but for, for whatever reason, they, they tend to use mercury. Again, there are some issues with this, as when it has to be disposed, it is hazardous waste, which is then quite tricky to get to. Right. What do you want to do now, Joe? Well... Should we play a game? Yeah, sure. I think we should play a game. Let's play a game, yeah. Because I was going to say, because otherwise it's just more of me talking, and I feel like we've had quite a lot of that. All right, so we're going to play science fact or science fiction. I know there's just you here, (laughs) so this might not work quite as well as it in previous weeks yeah there's not we'll, as much of a discussion it can be. we'll, we'll yeah. give it a go we'll give anyway it a go. and we'll see what happens anyway why don't you explain for any of our listeners who are listening in for the first time yes. how this game works so science fact or science fiction it if i'm right well i should know by now 
It's um, one fact and two lies. And then I've got a guess. It's not always. Not always. Okay, so it can be, you know, it can be two facts and one lie, right? Last week we had three facts. Oh, okay. No yeah. one noticed. Normally, normally it's a split. Yeah. And then I've just got to try and decipher which one with my really bad logic. But it's like... Yeah, exactly. So I'll give you a, a statement and you have to decide whether yeah. it is a fact, a science fact, or, or it's a lie, a yes. science fiction. So all relating to, to Mercury... Um, so, first one, mercury is the only element which is liquid at standard conditions. Standard conditions are 0 degrees C and uh, 10 to the 5 pascals, which is about atmospheric pressure. Okay. Roughly. So, it's kind of like nor- normal. Okay, so, well, so my... guess 0 degrees is a bit there's, cold. There's a lot of elements, right? So There are quite a few. The theory yeah. would be that surely another one at room temperature would be, you say liquid, yeah. Right. But then my other thought is that that's kind of what makes mercury different. It's like mm. the main thing that everyone sort of says it's like it's a liquid at room temperature. So based on that, even though there is a lot of elements, I would probably say it's science fact if I was going to guess. But oh, go on. Well, you're 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 wrong. But oh, only just oh. wrong. So it is the only metal which is liquid in uh, okay. standard conditions. Right. Uh, but there is one other element, only one other, right. which is which is liquid under the con- same conditions. And any ideas? Any ideas what it will be? Think uh, back to your chemistry lesson. You might might have used it for something. Uh, uh, it would have probably stained your hands horribly brown if you've got it covered well, on. No, I would uh, say. <laughs> I don't know. No, no. it's it's bromine. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so that we were smelled kind of weird as well, didn't it? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's uh, below fluorine and chlorine in the in the penultimate row of the periodic table. So it's a halogen. Um, it is also liquid uh, at standard conditions. Who knows, and maybe the only we'll do two. a bromine episode in the future. We'll maybe. talk more about it. Yeah. The explanation as to why the I should say the vast, vast majority of elements are solid at room temperature, so almost all metals yeah. and then, you know, quite quite a lot of other stuff. And then you've got a handful of gases, um, so all the noble gases and then the other ones that you'll have heard of, so oxygen, yeah. Yeah. nitrogen, and so on, uh, hydrogen, helium. But there, there are, as I say, these, these two liquids. Uh, I don't know about bromine. I think it's just kind of sitting in the nice sweet spot. For yeah. mercury... Yeah. The explanation is quite complicated, but the gist is that it's got a very stable electronic configuration. So all of the electro so electrons within atoms, they sit in these things called shells kind of yeah. surrounding the nucleus. And those shells have subshells or orbitals. And basically all the orbitals in Mercury that have some electrons in them are full. Yeah. Which is, that's a nice, stable, a stable situation yeah, yeah, yeah. to be in. I remember that part. So what this means is that Mercury only forms weak bonds because it's not really bothered about getting any other electrons yeah, or not, getting... Yeah. So pretty much or all... losing or gaining one. Exactly. Or, yeah. So basically all chemistry, why anything happens is because atoms either want electrons or they want to get rid of electrons. Yeah, but yeah. Mercury is pretty chill. It's happy with its electrons, <laughs> yeah. how they are. So it only forms weak bonds. Um, it, that wouldn't quite explain it on its own. There are also relativistic effects. Um, okay. So this is to do with the the innermost electrons that are very tightly bound. They're they're moving around very quickly, fast okay. enough yeah. that you get effects due to special relativity. So they they 
appear right. to be heavier than they actually are okay. and then this this causes other things to happen as i say it does get you get into some sort of quite technical nuclear physics nuclear chemistry yeah that's not my but area you, no <laughs> um but this this kind of the idea of it being a stable configuration plus these electronic effects that means that it, it's not really bothered about forming other bonds so it has a a you know it's easy to yeah, melt it, yeah, basically. Yeah. It melts at reasonable temperatures, low melting point and boiling point. So well, then hit me, in a, hit me with another right. one. Next question. So that one was false. Next question. A pound coin will float in mercury. Science fact or science fiction? A pound coin will float in mercury. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's something they you've seen like on at school or something, maybe. So... Um, and also, that seems like a really odd thing that you'd make up. So I'm going to actually mm. just go with science fact there because if you made it up, then fair enough. You're playing the meta game. Yeah, here yeah I'm, I'm being a bit meta here. But, yeah, yeah, no, you are correct. That yeah. one is true. So mercury is is pretty dense. It's, as we say, it's quite a heavy element. Its atomic number is 80. So it's yeah. got 80 protons in its nucleus and quite a lot of neutrons as well. So it's it's pretty dense. It's about 13 times denser than water, which means lots right. of things will float on it. So a pound coin will float on it. One science YouTuber called Cody Don actually filmed himself floating, floating in mercury. mercury. So not completely. Okay. As in, so he stepped in with boots. And I was he did, say, you'd have to have some sort of protective clothing on, right? Or... He did. Well, he said he would have done it with it. He has, he has dunked his hand in mercury in another video to kind of show. Really? Oh, because it doesn't seep through your skin then? Sort of. Yeah, it's yeah. basically, as long as it doesn't get inside you, it's yeah. going to be okay. Yeah. But he did wear kind of full kind of protective boots for this because, and he gave the reason that on one of his feet he had... Um, a, a wound from an ingrown toenail. Yes, obviously, so the mercury would have just seemed to get in your body there. Yeah, and you don't want it inside you for sure. Um, so, yeah, he he did sink down in it a bit. It wasn't quite as impressive as I'd okay. hoped, but he was still. You could see that he was unsteady. Like his yeah. feet weren't yeah. all the way at the bottom. They were kind of okay. He was yeah. he yeah. was floating in it to an extent. So there there we go. So it's pretty dense. Lots of things float on it. And yeah, you're absolutely right. It is a science experiment. I don't think I ever did it at school, but it uh, is something like that you can I've do. Got where like you some can hazy memory of seeing it happen or something. I don't know. It might be from when you were looking at the Wikipedia page yep. to prepare for this week because <laughs> there's a picture on there. <laughs> yeah, which is where I got the idea uh, from okay. as well. Okay, final one then. Mercury is banned from most aircraft as it could dissolve them. Mercury so not dissolve. because it's poisonous, but in case it dissolves the aeroplane. Well, how do they even like regulate mercury on a plane? Like, what? <laughs> why would you need mercury on a plane anyway, right? So why would they have to say? That's a good question. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, why um, would you need an explosive on a plane? Yeah, <laughs> but they're not like check. Oh, how do they check for mercury? Like, how would they check for mercury on a plane? So no, I'm gonna say uh, science fiction. Yeah, I don't know how you'd regulate that. I just don't. No. So I I've no idea how they regulate it, but it is true. It is okay. banned from most aircraft. Right. Um, so as we said earlier, mercury dissolves many metals to form these amalgams, so alloys yeah. or mixtures of mercury with other metals, and this includes aluminium, which is what most aircraft are made, of, or a big component of what most aircraft are made of is aluminium, because yeah, yeah. it's fairly light, it's fairly yeah. malleable, so you can make it into the shape that you want such yeah. as plain shape or whatever <laughs> shape. Uh, so mercury can dissolve the aluminium oxide layer so th what actually happens in aircraft and, and other things like that is 
on the outside of the aluminium. It yeah. reacts with the air, with oxygen in the air, to form aluminium oxide, which is is basically sort of like a rust type thing. But okay. it, it forms it on the outside, and then that protects the inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a, it's actually quite quite a good thing. But the mercury dissolves the aluminium oxide on the outside, that protective layer um, that is stopping the inside metal yeah. from further oxidation and so even a small amount of the mercury can cause serious corrosion oh god okay. because so basically no thermometers on planes <laughs> so no no, no <laughs> thermometers on planes so there we go as you say i've absolutely no idea yeah, how they enforce uh, it well, i guess it's a liquid isn't it yeah. so you go in through your bag <laughs> yeah, yeah. I check <laughs> bottle it of mercury <laughs> i don't know yeah. i don't know uh, but there we go anyway that was science fact or science fiction i i, I enjoyed that yeah well, okay yeah you got one out of three yeah i'll take that so you that's know. not bad and your reasoning was pretty good to be fair i thought on the first one you were gonna you were going the right way because you're saying oh there's so many elements yeah and then i just kind of went completely off so now I was, we're going to talk about mercury and it's being and it's poisoning effects and stuff like that because I obviously always do the really grim parts, which, but that's what I'm interested in. So that's that's just how it is. That's just how it is now. So mercury poisoning. So mercury poisoning is a type of metal poisoning due to the exposure of mercury. Uh, symptoms depend upon the type, the dose, the method, and duration of exposure. So it includes like muscle weakness, poor coordination. Numbness in the hands and feet, skin rashes, anxiety, memory problems, trouble speaking, trouble hearing, or trouble seeing. So lots of like different things that can happen to you, and um, not very nice things either. So high level expo- exposure to methyl mercury is known as Minamata disease. So methyl mercury exposure in children it it's uh, may result in acrodynia as well, which is pink disease, which in the, in the skin becomes pink and it peels. Not quite sure what it looks like, but not don't imagine it's that nice and the long-term complications may include like kidney problems and decreased intelligence so yeah not great and then i've got like a fun well not not really fun fact but in december 2008 so do you know the actor jeremy piven i wish i could say yes i'm going to be honest and say that i've never heard of jeremy piven he's an american actor he's in entourage if, if you've ever heard of that show or he was in Mr. Selfridge's or okay. well, I've ITV heard of that. show. Yeah. Yep. Um, so he was diagnosed with mercury poisoning um, because he used to eat sushi twice a day for 20 years. So obviously there's a lot of mercury in fish, but if you're eating... I it, mean, we say a lot of well, mercury yeah, okay, in fish. Yeah. There's, there's well, more it, mercury yeah. in fish than in most yes. other foods. Um, and it's the fact he was eating sushi twice a day for 20 years that probably led to it accumulating in his body a mm-hmm. bit more than normal. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, forms of mercury exposure include metal, vapour, salt, and or, on the organic compound. Uh, most exposures from eating yeah, like said, eating fish, amalgam-based dental fillings. Yep, so those cavities yeah, that we were mentioning or, earlier. Or exposure if you work with mercury. That's uh, a risk as well. So in fish, those higher up in the food chain generally have higher levels of mercury. Human activities that release mercury into the environment include the burning of coal and mining of gold, which I will get onto later. Uh, you can test levels of mercury in your body through urine and blood samples, for example, but it's not usually that accurate, so they don't tend to do it really. So, so it's just if you suddenly can't, you suddenly can't walk see or talk or, or talk see, talk get, oh, might or be, have might decreased be intelligence, mercury. but I don't know if that's <laughs> whether that's sometimes mercury poisoning or if that's just something else so prevention of mercury poisoning includes so obviously eating a diet low in mercury would help Uh, removing mercury from medical and other devices which we know is happening now um, as we talked about earlier Uh, proper disposal of mercury and not mining further mercury as well 
So in those with acute poisoning from inorganic mercury salts, uh, chelation, I think. Chelation. Say again? Chelation. Chelation, right, okay. It's a chemistry uh, word. With either chemicals, uh, DMSA or DMPS. So these can improve the outcomes if given within a few hours ex- of exposure, but chelation for those with long-term exposure is not as effective. And in certain communities that survive on fishing, rates of mercury poisoning among children have been as high as 1.7 per 100. That's a lot higher than I expected, Yeah, actually. That, that's quite shocking because I sort of, you hear about, obviously you know that mercury is poisonous, but because there are such small quantities of it and things, you kind of think, oh, well, you know, you'd have to yeah. do something. Yeah. You'd have to, like, go out of your way to be exposed to enough mercury. But, you know, clearly clearly not. If you're, if, if you're someone whose diet... Involves a lot of fish, <laughs> yeah. then. But as as we say, it does have to be a lot of fish, and that and thing about it tends to be like it took the him fish... twenty years. The guy, the celebrity, it took him twenty years to get diagnosed with mercury poisoning. So yeah, you know, and it tends to be the fish higher up in the food chain as well. So I don't yes. know if you're eating a lot of shark or or whatever yeah, expensive or, taste. Um, then there we go. That yeah. that chelation that you mentioned, just just as a a quick explanation yeah, please, of yeah, what explain. that is. So chelation is basically a process where you have compounds that can bond to a metal, but they can bond from at least two parts of the compound at once. Yeah. So metals can often have a lot of fairly weak-ish bonds uh, yeah. coming out of yeah. them, connecting them to other either individual atoms or, or ions or compounds. And there are, there are some sorts of compounds, including lots with very long names like DMSA or whatever, and their structure is such that they can kind of bite on or attach from okay, yeah, often yeah. often from two ends often yeah. from either end of the molecule although you can get ones that can, can that can bind on in, in in three different ways at once but basically what you're doing is you're taking up multiple of the sites that are available on yeah. the metal for bonding okay. at once so you put this in and these will kind of stick themselves around the mercury and then that stops it from bonding to you know other things in your body which i guess is then what's causing the problem basically like blocks so it then from, it basically yeah. blocks the metal from or the mercury in this case from bonding to things yeah. in your body that it shouldn't be bonding to and then that means that you can then flush yeah. it out of your system essentially um, so this chelation therapy is used for other things besides just is it mercury poisoning quite dangerous it? as well am i reading that right i don't know I'm, it might be. It might be. I, kind of, I don't know yeah. much about the medical yeah. uh, implications of it. I just recognised yeah, a, a yeah. chemistry word and got a bit excited. So anyway, back to. So I was mentioning how it's used to produce gold. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll talk a bit about that. So when producing gold, first um, mercury is mixed with the materials containing gold. A mercury gold amalgam. So amalgam. We've yeah. got that word yeah. <laughs> again. Then is formed because gold will dissolve in the mercury, while other impurities will not. So the mixture of gold and mercury is then heated to a temperature that will vaporize the mercury, leaving behind the gold. This process does not result in gold that is 100% pure, but it does eliminate the like a bulk of the impurities. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the problem with this method, though, is the release of mercury vapor into the environment. So even yeah. if the equipment is used to catch the vapor, some still can get into the atmosphere. Mercury also can get into the soil and water if it is still, if, if it still is contaminating other waste materials from the mining process that may be discarded. Mercury first was used to extract... Gold as many as 3,000 years ago was when it was first reported to extract gold. And the process was prominent in the US up until about the 1960s. And then the environmental impact on Northern California is still felt today 
according to certain various sources and stuff like that. So, as in, yeah. there are still naturally higher levels of mercury yes, in those yeah, areas than yeah. you expect. That's because I'm, I'm assuming it takes a long time to degrade mm-hmm. or yeah, you know. I'm going to talk a bit now about mercury's emissions from volcanoes and a little bit about uh, power plants as well, which kind of links to our last week's theme on nuclear. But anyway, in 2008, a team of scientists discovered that the gases uh, at both volcanoes contain high levels of... Well, there was like a study done with uh, two separate volcanoes, and they found that high levels of mercury vapor was discovered, and that the fume is also very rich in tiny particles, as small as 10 to 20 nanometers in size. So before this, they didn't really know that volcanoes were a natural source of particles as small as this. And the existence of these particles is potentially very important for the climate system. So they can control how clouds form, how much solar energy reaches the Earth's surface. And they may also see distant patches of barren ocean with nutrients. So whilst researchers had suspected that mercury boils out of hot magma, the big surprise was just how much mercury escapes from volcanoes. So measurements made on just one part of the Messiah volcano by Dr. Melanie Witt, who was on the team of scientists, have shown that about seven tons of natural vol- volcanic mercury escapes into the atmosphere from this vent alone each year, which is considerably, considerably more than total industrial emissions of mercury from the UK, recorded about 5.5 tons in 2000. It confirmed their like suspicions that volcanoes are an important part of the global mercury cycle. Yeah, so actually, so what we're basically saying there is that it's quite possibly the case that the majority of mercury that's found in the atmosphere you know is actually due to natural sources not due to obviously that's not to say that oh well that's fine we can you know chuck out as much of it as we like by ourselves because we shouldn't but you know it's a a substantial proportion is is from these natural sources rather than from uh, anthropogenic human caused sources yeah but then of of those human caused sources the big ones coal plants right yeah so basically so going now away from natural and more to man-made so in 2011 epa the environmental protection agency finalized the first national standards to reduce mercury and other toxic air pollution from coal and oil fired fired uh, oil fired power plants basically some power plants today still don't really regulate the mercury that's released so they and that obviously emits harmful pollutants, including mercury and other toxins. So, yeah, that's we're trying to crack down on that, obviously. And um, we we are, yeah, me and Fergus. <laughs> so, um, like in the three industry sectors that make make a pro- uh, make up approximately two thirds of total U.S. mercury emissions. So these are medical waste incinerators, uh, municipal waste combustors, and power plants. So, power plants is the only sort of area that still is needs to work on their reducing their emissions where the other two have reduced it quite significantly significantly now so yeah so the gold production and mining as well i think that accounts for about 10 percent of all yeah uh, man well man-made man-made release. yeah, releases of man-made releases it doesn't <laughs> quite make sense no. but you know what i mean yeah. uh that so that's quite a significant proportion even today as well even though as you say there are sort yeah. of questions about whether we even should be using using mercury this is the problem with chemicals is that a lot of them they have they do really useful things but then they, but also, they have also have yeah. side effects well. Side. Well, i mean i say chemicals everything is chemicals but you know anyway for our last little bit i'm going to be talking about how mercury was used and seen in the ancient world so it has been used since the ancient world we've already heard about how yeah. it was used to purify gold you know thousands of 3, years, ago. years ago yeah. it's been found in egyptian tombs dating back to 1500 bc so that's 
Yeah, three and a half thousand yeah. years ago. <laughs> its poisonous nature wasn't known at first. In fact, in China and Tibet, it was thought to have healing powers and prolonged life. So the first emperor of China was actually killed by drinking a mercury-containing oh, wow. mixture, which had been created by alchemists who were intending to give him eternal life. They weren't trying to poison him. Yeah. They thought that this was going to you know, give him, or certainly prolong life, but obviously it didn't because drinking mercury is a very bad idea. So mercury has, has always been an important substance in alchemy. So alchemy was a branch of natural philosophy, which is sort of the precursor to modern science, which aimed, amongst other things, to convert base metals into others. Uh, so base metals, sort of more common metals, into uh, more precious metals, particularly turning metals into gold and to create yeah. the elixir of life, otherwise known as the philosopher's stone. So a potion that could cure all diseases and grant the drinker eternal life. Is and that a link to Harry Potter? <laughs> that's, so that's where the idea from Harry yeah. Potter came with. So the philosopher's stone, that's a name that yeah. was used way before Harry Potter. Obviously, J.K. Rowling stone, if you remember. Used, used it. But yeah, that was one of the names given to this elixir. And mercury has been kind of tied up in this alchemical thinking, right, right as I say, from from antiquity, from, from these ancient times. So mercury was thought by some to be the prima materia or first matter, so the starting material that would be required to create the Philosopher's Stone. And that was from ancient times, but even up to the Renaissance times. So Paracelsus, who was a Renaissance alchemist who was around in the 16th century, he thought that all things were made of three substances. Uh, so his three substances or his tria prima, were salt, sulfur, and mercury. And he thought that everything was made up of these three things in different combinations. And he thought that these materials also defined the human identity. So he linked salt with the body. Mercury represented the spirit, which he included higher-level thinking in this, so things like imagination, moral judgment. He said they were part of the spirit. And sulfur represented the soul. And it was also thought for a while that diseases, well, Paracelsus at least, thought that diseases were caused by imbalances amongst the tria prima. Generally, in sort of very early medicine, this idea of imbalance leading to disease was a very common idea. Uh, For example, Paracelsus thought that an excess of sulfur would cause fever and plague, uh, and excesses of of other things would cause other, other diseases. Anyway, you might think it a bit strange that I'm choosing to talk about alchemy on what is a science show. After all, you know, nowadays we think of alchemy as a pseudoscience, it's it's magic, it's not actual science. Well, that might be true, but another truth is that modern science did arise from the natural philosophy of, well, the medieval period and way before that, back to the ancient Greeks, back to ancient China. This natural philosophy that we now would see parts of as unscientific included disciplines such as alchemy and astrology but these were valid ways of thinking at the time and these were things that were thought about alongside other things that became the precursor to what we would see as being sort of proper modern science at the moment so paracelsus has been heralded as the father of toxicology and he was one of the first people to advocate that you should clean wounds at the time many doctors thought that infection was a natural part of the healing wow. process so wounds had to get yeah. infected in order to get better afterwards can you imagine and, if that was still going and to? well exactly and and this idea of everything being made up 
of a set number of types of thing all right we now know that there's a lot more than three there's about 90 naturally occurring elements but that's you know that's absolutely right all the different compounds that we have they are made up of a you know a set discrete countable number of elements uh so you know lots of medicine lots of chemistry was influenced by you know things that we would now see as being non-scientific and yeah. even even isaac newton who was born over 100 years after paracelsus died and is obviously widely recognized as one of the most influential scientists ever produced many works that would now be seen as a cult or non-scientific yeah. he did research on alchemy he also did a lot of stuff on uh, biblical interpretation the reason now that we say that rainbows have seven uh, colors in them is because he did a lot of work on optics and it, it, he thought that seven was a very spiritual number so like, there's yeah, no yeah. you know it's a continuum there's yeah. no clearly defined seven colors in there when you actually think about no. it that was just because he thought that there ought to be so the history of science is interwoven with the history of now what we see as superstition or pseudoscience and that's the kind of final part you know that i want to leave you on today but i hope you've enjoyed learning a little bit about mercury its uses where it can go wrong as well yeah. and we'll be back next week for our final special. episode of the semester have a lovely week and we'll see you next time bye now bye